Well, good morning, family of Christ. I'm Pastor David Dyer, and it is my distinct honor and pleasure to be worshiping with you today as we open this new season of the church year, which is called Advent. So I say to you, Happy New Year. See, many of you are going, okay, I'm lost. I got no clue. I don't get this whatsoever. You see, there's a church calendar in the year. And in that church calendar, what we discover is that this time of the year leads, it starts out, it's the beginning. It's the, the culmination, right? We've, we've been through the year. We've been through Lent. We've been through the Easter time. The church has grown. The body of Christ has grown. And now we finished the church year last week, and today we begin the new church year. And with Advent, it means that we reorient, that we look, that we are challenged with something that says, hey, it's time, it's new, and it's different. Now, normally, you might be spending January 1st as the new year, and you're thinking, okay, what are some new things that I need to start out with, new things I need to do? Maybe I need to challenge myself or be challenged by God's word. So what I'm asking you to do is to start that process a little over a month early. That with the season of Advent, we begin to reorient ourselves and look at our life from a different perspective. I'd like you to see the sermon slide behind me. I want you to look at it. I want you to realize that this perspective by Salvador Dali, an artist, when he painted this picture, he wanted it to be a different perspective than most people view Jesus hanging on the cross. You see, if you look intently at it, you'll recognize that normally you're used to looking from the ground up or you're looking at people from far away, maybe on another hill, looking through those people to the cross. But rarely do we ever think and do we ever see this spectacle. This spectacle is, as Salvador Dali wrote, I wanted to show God's perspective of the world that he had sent his son to. We've cropped it out of this picture, but I want to let you know the picture uh, in its full painting underneath the cross, what is now in the dark area at the bottom of the picture, is a picture of the world and people are fishing and going about their daily business. The picture by Salvador Dali meant to say that God looks down upon our human existence here in this world and what he does is he looks through the lens of Jesus Christ. He sees a lost and dying world. He sees a lot of sin. He sees imperfection. He, that, that is what is here because of sin. But through Jesus, he sees his dearly beloved creation. It's a solemn look, isn't it? To see the bowed head of Jesus. To realize you can't see whether his face is in anguish or pain, whether he's experiencing peace. Maybe he's taken his last breath. What we see is a head bowed in submission. 
And maybe that is enough alone during the season of Advent to say, can we change our perspective even that much? Can we say, could we be in humble submission to maybe what God is doing in this world? Could we maybe look at the world the way God looks as he sees his hurting children, his creation that has been tainted with sin, and his desire to bring it back, his desire to love it, his desire to forgive every single person, his desire to want to change and transform your life and the people in your family and the people you work with and the people you live near. Could we maybe from a different perspective begin to see that how God sees us is as an opportunity to love us? Now, I know many of you say, yeah, I'm a believer. I, I know God loves me. That, that, that's not anything new for me. Why, why should that be different? Well, here's the challenge I, I have for you. I think that it's a different way of looking and realizing that the Jesus who is hanging on the cross is exactly the Jesus that God sent, that God killed, and that ultimately that God rose from the grave. That's God's plan. That's God's plan. And you realize how different that is? That God would use the death of his own son to bring about life for you and for me. That God would do things differently. That he would see things from a completely different perspective. You remember the story in the Old Testament where the Israelites have a poisonous snakes come upon them and, they're, and they've been bitten. They're poisoned. And God has Moses make a bronze pole with a snake on it and tells the people, look at the snake and you'll be saved. I mean, that's weird. I mean, that, that's whacked out stuff. God, what, what the heck are you doing? Or when he tells Hosea, yeah, you know Gomer, the town prostitute? Yeah, I'd like you to marry her. What? God, um, this isn't going to look good for me and my family. See, God sees an opportunity to show love. With Moses and the snake, an opportunity to show mercy. When Jesus is teaching, right, he points out to the people that are gathered around, do you not see the lilies of the field? Do you see how beautiful they are, the array of color, right? How God has wonderfully made creation. And Jesus goes, don't you know, tomorrow it dies and gets thrown into the fire. And you know the people are going, hmm, God made something beautiful. It dies tomorrow. He throws it in the fire. What good is that? And Jesus goes, don't you know that you are more beautiful than even the flowers. Whom God says, well, it's here today for your beautiful eye to appreciate, and tomorrow it's thrown in the fire, but you, you are more valuable than, than the flowers. You're beautiful, you're awesome, I love you, and I value you even more than my creation. I mean, that's weird. When Jesus tells a parable, right, about the good, uh, about the, uh, the prodigal son, 
right? Here, here's a son that should be honoring his father. He goes to his dad and goes, yeah, this work thing's not working for me. Could you give me my inheritance now? I want to go do my own thing. Goes off, squanders it, right? Squanders his, his dad's hard-worked wealth. Famine hits the land. He doesn't have food to eat. He, he starts to feed pigs, and he begins to remember, man, even my dad's servants eat better than I am eating. And so that son comes back in humble submission. And again, we, as human beings, we go, oh, we hear that story and we go, okay, so this son's gonna get his, right? He, he needs to be punished for, no. Dad runs out to meet him. He grabs him, he hugs him, he puts a robe on him, a, a signet ring on his finger, he puts sandals on his feet. He shows love and compassion and forgiveness and he welcomes him home. That's why this picture is a different perspective. Reminds us that that's how God acts. He has a different perspective on our life and the blessings that he wants to give and bestow to us. And so during Advent, that's what we're going to do. We're going to take a different perspective. We're gonna take a different look at things that we think we've probably heard about, we've read about, we know about, and we go, I know where this is going. And yet, I think with a different perspective, we're gonna see an incredibly gracious, loving God who all along has been planning for you. He's had you in mind no matter what's going on. No matter the pain, no matter the suffering, no matter the challenges, no matter the difficulties. He's had you in mind. This is why in our reading here from Revelation chapter 21, again, many of you are probably going, <laughs> yeah, I'm not seeing how this is about Advent. I thought Revelation was the book of doom and gloom. So I want you to hear it. I want you to read along with me silently. I'll read it out loud. But I want you to hear it. I want you to understand that this season of Advent is about looking at what God has for us and a promise that is different from what the world promises. Now let me set up this section of scripture. This is written by the disciple John. John's one of the youngest disciples of the entire 12. In fact, he's probably one of the last ones alive down through the centuries, okay? And what's happened, can you imagine, right, being one of the 12 disciples, Jesus is gone. This is probably 40, 50 years later. He's had a lifetime of ministry. He's had a lifetime of people coming up to him going, dude, you got to hang with Jesus. Well, yeah, you're, you're right, I did, you know. But no, it's not about me, I wanna share something. And, he, and he, I'm sure he shared the gospel all the time, right? He, he, he showed the love and compassion of Jesus Christ to all of those that were gathered. This is that John, okay? The disciple who Jesus loved. And towards the end of his life, what has happened is he's been arrested and he's now exiled on an island. He now has no title. He now has no ministry. He now seemingly has no respect from the people that are around. I mean, he's ministering to some of the people on the island, but, but by and large, he's not allowed to travel. He's not allowed to move around. He, everything he seemingly has worked for his entire life is now 
He's exiled. And God blesses him, right? With a vision. And the vision is incredible. The book of Revelation, right, shares this vision of what it will be like when God's judgment comes down. It's, it's one story told three different times, and that's why when we read it, we're kind of like, I don't understand what's going on. But, but, but basically, here's the story. Here's end times. Here's God's judgment. I'm coming back. It's this great blessed war story, and at the end, we get this part of the vision. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. And he who overcomes will inherit all of this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. This, this is the culmination. This is what it's all come down to, is the vision that John sees is that God says, you're my bride. And you're beautifully adorned, church. Church, my bride, I'm coming back for you. And, and when I come back, there's, there's no more crying. There's no more death. There's no more destruction. There's no more pain. There's no more worry or fretting. There'll be nothing, nothing between you and me. There'll be nothing between the blessings that I have for you. Man, I, this is awesome. I love you. That's what this verse that's what this section is about. You see, John, in the midst, right, of a world that says, we don't wanna hear from you, we don't care what your perspective is, we don't even wanna, we don't even wanna see you, we've exiled you, we have no use for you. God goes, I have a use for you. In fact, I've got a great big vision for you. And I want you to share it. And this is going to be the message that makes the most difference. This is going to be the thing that people are going to most gravitate to because it's about hope. It's about blessing. You're Jesus' bride. Now, guys, I know this may sound a little hard for you to grasp a hold of this morning. You may, you may not have put any thought or uh, time or plan even to your own wedding. I get that. Ladies, please forgive us. You, maybe you thought from when you were a little girl, you knew exactly what kind of dress you were going to wear, how your hair was going to be, who was going to sit next to whom. You spent a lot of time at the reception planning. You spent a lot of time at what kind of flowers there were going to be. You spent a lot of time and energy and effort into this wedding. Why? Because it's a special day. It's meant for celebration and it should be celebrated. It should be awesome. It should be glorious. It should be grand. 
Because people want to celebrate with the bride. As a pastor, I oftentimes get to be uh, around people in various aspects of their life. Sometimes great and glorious, sometimes they're low moments. One afternoon, I was uh, meeting with, a, with an older lady and uh, all of a sudden I was reading a psalm or something and we hear hooting and hollering. Now, I don't mean a commotion. I, I mean, I can hear people slapping high fives. I can hear laughter. I can hear people screaming, yelling at the top of their lungs and I'm kind of going, what the, did Jesus come back? I, don't, I mean, we need to look out the window. We need to see what's going on. I mean, this is how much hooping and hollering is going on. I say, excuse me, I go out into the hallway and there is this bride and groom. And, and she's in her, in her gown and he's in his tux, right? And they're going down the hallway. And, and the people, a lot of the residents had seen out into the main area and had seen this bride and groom. It was like, what the heck's going on? And they start walking down the hallway and people are coming out of their rooms and they're the ones high-fiving the bride. And they're like, what are you doing here? She's like, well, my grandma's here. She couldn't come to the wedding, so we decided to bring the wedding to her. And all the residents were, you know, they just go, and I hope there's cake, and I hope, you know, I mean, there's just, there's all sorts, of, and they're just celebrating, and that's huge, right? That's the picture. That's the idea of what I'm talking about, that, that, that when you're, there's, there's a bride, people want to be near the bride, they want to celebrate, they want to be around the bride. And, and I think this is what John was talking about. The thing to be excited about is the fact that the bride is, is us. And Jesus has prepared us for a great wedding. The end times are upon us. And we're just simply waiting for him to come. The song you heard sung during the offering, Emmanuel, means God is with us. And that's what this section of scripture from Revelation tells us. He says, I'm with you. You're my bride. Of course I'm with you. I haven't abandoned you. I haven't left you. I know there's been some time, but wait a minute. I'm coming. And I'll take care of everything. Sometimes I think we forget who we are. I think that's a perspective switch and a change that we need at Advent is to be reminded, wait a minute, who are we? Are we people of the world that get caught up in the consumerism? Are, are we people of the world that get caught up with the hustle and the bustle? Or are we people of Advent that are excited and preparing for Jesus to come home, to come back and take us to be at home? I think that's the perspective switch. See, in the middle of, uh, of being exiled, John could have said, woe is me. The world doesn't want me. I have no job seemingly anymore. My friends have abandoned me. Woe is me. I mean, you've got your own life circumstances, right? Cancer, debt, joblessness, kids that don't listen. I mean, you, you got your own stuff. And you can, you can be as the world says, right? The world says, well, it's just part of being life. Or we can change our perspective and look through the cross as Jesus, as God looks through the cross with Jesus hanging there and say, wait a minute, that's why I sent the groom. 
I sent the groom to take care of all of that so that you know there's not going to be any more weeping. There's not going to be any more crying. There's not going to be any more pain or suffering. I've come to, to take care of all of that. I've come to take care of you. But while we wait, there's, there's a little bit of fear and trepidation. Brides, I see it on your faces. I, I do. I, 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 we've done premarital counseling. You know that he arrived. There have been pictures taken. You, you start to walk down the aisle, and, and there's still that little bit of going, oh, he better be there. He better show up. Until you walk forward and you realize, yeah, he's there. And he's not going anywhere. The groom is, is there for you. Have you seen this show on, on cable television, uh, Bridezilla's? All right. All right, this show is horrible. All right, it is crazy. I mean, these ladies that they get on there, reality TV. Oh, man, if that is somebody's reality, we have got a lot more praying to do. Okay, because some of these these young ladies, right? They're just, well, it's got to be this way and this way and this way. And you're just like, whoa, what has this dude gotten himself into? And they find all the right, you know, all the moments. They have all the background story. And you're just going, man, is, is this how God wanted it? Is this how it's designed to be? I don't think so. I hope not. See, I think those brides have forgotten because they, they usually say something along the, these lines. I deserve this. This is my wedding. I'm the bride. And I think they've forgotten that they don't deserve it. And it's not their way or the highway that in reality, you know why they're a bride? It's because someone loves them. They're a bride because someone has said, I want to be with you. And I think that's what John's telling us. That the groom wants to be with you. That the groom absolutely loves you and adores you. That the groom can't wait to be with you. And I don't know about you, but that's, that's stinking good news. I know it is for me because in the midst of life, in the midst of challenge, in the midst of everything that goes on, I, I love knowing and hearing these words from Jesus. The dwelling of God is with men. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He wipes every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death, no mourning, crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. You see, he who is seated on the throne says, behold, I am making everything new. New. Which means if your marriage is on the rocks, it can be made brand new. It means if you've got a, a bad relationship with your kid, it can be made new. It means if you're single, God is going to be everything for you and that you aren't alone. And if you're in the middle of job transition, don't worry, be at peace, God's with you. That in the midst of all the craziness in the world, God loves you. Isn't that just an awesome 
an awesome thought that despite my sin, despite who I am, despite my lack of a great resume, God loves me? This is why John is also the author of this phrase. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son that whoever believed in him shall never perish but have eternal life. So great is God's love that he sends, that he sacrifices, and that he makes brand new. Another afternoon, I was in a hospital room with a lady who was dying. Her family supposedly was coming in, but no one had arrived. I didn't know if she'd take her last breath pretty imminently, and so I was sitting in the room with her. Got to be after visiting hours, and I thought, well, the family's not gonna make it tonight. About an hour after that, the daughter sneaks into the room. And I'm kind of sitting back in a chair in the corner, kind of in the dark. She doesn't see me. She begins to talk to her mom, mom, I'm here. I'm sorry we all aren't here, but I just wanted you to know you're not alone. And then she reaches into her bag <laughs> and she pulls out this bottle of lotion. And she says, Mom, don't tell the kids this is the expensive lotion they got me at Mother's Day. I, I haven't been able to use it. How dare I use something so expensive on me and, and yet I, I really have always wanted to but I can't for myself. Mom, I, I want to I use it on you. And she pulls the sheet back from her mom's feet and the feet are feet. She takes the lotion carefully in her hands and she lathers her mom's feet and I start crying (laughs) because in that moment right the bride of Christ comes in in a moment of mercy of love and compassion she anoints her mother's feet. I'm pretty sure this is the picture in Advent that Jesus is after for us. Is that not only our perspective change and we cry out, come Lord Jesus, come. I mean, come, take us home. But until he's here that we serve that we love, that we honor, we respect, and we do the hard, loving thing for those around us. 
May this Advent season truly be remarkable as God pushes and molds, shapes, and and, and uses you as his son's very hands and feet to a lost and dying world who desperately needs to know that God loves them as well as you. Amen.